0: of your glory, to be strengthened with power in our inner being through your Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that we, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of your love. And that we may know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled with all the fullness of you. And I pray this, that our love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that we may be able to approve what is superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to your glory and to your praise. Amen. Oh, Jesus is busy this morning, and I'm just lining up with what He's already doing. And I want to start with what John wrote in the letter of First John. Right in the beginning. He introduces the letter and he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And we see that John has experienced something that he can't keep to himself. He has to share it. He's seen something with his eyes. He's observed something. He's heard something. He's touched something with his own hands. And he realizes that if you don't have what he has, your joy will not be complete. And he shares that for your sake, but he also shares it for his sake because he realizes the way God designed it, because all of us are the bride he's coming back for, John also realizes his joy won't be complete unless you get it too, unless you have this too. And that's why he's writing this. Oh, I'm praying. I am contending. I am trusting that God will mark you with what John was writing about this morning, that you will encounter him this morning in a way that you will not be able to be the same again when you leave here this morning. That is my prayer that he'll do this morning. So what is John speaking about in 1 John 1? I believe we all know it, but he says the phrase, what is from the beginning And we see similar language in his gospel letter, the book of John, chapter 1. And he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. He's speaking about Jesus. (laughs) Later, when he has the vision he shares in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, he sees Jesus, Jesus returning on the white horse to judge the earth, and he says this is the one whose name is called the Word of God. He, Jesus, God himself, was there in the beginning, and all things were created through him. Everything apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. He created you he created you. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Realize that he created you in his own image. In the image of God, you are created in the image of God. Psalm 139, verse 13, we read the psalmist say, It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. Realize he knits you together in your mother's womb. You have been remarkably and wondrously made by him. This is scripture, this is truth, this is the truth. And therefore you have to make sure that the way that you see yourself lines up with his word. Why, because it's the truth and it's the way that he sees you. Realize this is the way that he sees you. And so John is talking about this Jesus when he says what was from the beginning and we see later in his gospel in verse 14, speaking of Jesus, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible. In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He came down from heaven and became flesh and dwelt among them. As he walked the earth, he shared these incredible statements about who he is. I am statements. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, "I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again." Jesus is the bread of life. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. John 10, verse 9, I am the gate, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. John 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And then John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus is the vine. And it's this Jesus who loves us. (laughs) It's this Jesus who loves you, Jared. It's this Jesus who loves you, Anelda, who loves you, Robin. It's this Jesus who loves each and every one of you. (laughs) John 15, verse 9, Jesus says this, (laughs) As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Realize this. As the Father has loved the Son, this unimaginable love that's within the Trinity, that's the love that Jesus has for you. That is the love that Jesus has for you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. He gave his only begotten Son. He left the throne of heaven, came down, humbled himself, took on flesh to be mocked, To be flogged, to be beaten, to wear a crown of thorns, to hang and die on a tree. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. God is love. He is love. 1 John 4.16. John continues in the letter. He says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Oh, I pray each one of us this morning, we leave in that place of knowing and believing the love that God has for us. And he says, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. John got this. He understood how much Jesus loved him. Why do I say that? (laughs) He referred to himself as the one Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. And there's this temptation to think, wow, that's pretty arrogant, but John never said, I'm the only one that Jesus loves. He just knew his identity was in how Jesus saw him. And he lives from that place. (laughs) This Jesus, this Jesus, he not only loves you with the love that you can't even comprehend, he desires to be with you. He extends the scepter as you approach him. Why do I say that? John 17, verse 24. Jesus, about to go to the cross, prays this beautiful prayer to the Father to be heard by his disciples and to be recorded for us. And he says, Father, I desire. (laughs) Jesus desires. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Do you realize that Jesus desires, he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be with him. He desires this. This is his desire, not just ours. John 17, verse 26, he said, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. (laughs) Jesus has made the Father's name known to us and is continuing to make the Father's name known to us. Why? So that the love the Father loved Jesus with may be in you. And if that isn't enough, so that Jesus himself may be in you. This same Jesus, the bread of life, in you. Jesus, the light of this world, in you. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, in you. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, in you. Jesus himself, in you whom John referred to as the eternal life at the beginning of that letter. In fact, in John 17, Jesus prays and tells us what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. Knowing him. Intimately knowing Jesus. And we see from this place, from this reality that John lived firsthand, he then writes in one John, Oh, I'm writing this, I'm declaring this to you that you may also have fellowship with us. Because John had this unbelievable fellowship, this communion with the Father and with the Son. And he's like, I want you to have this too. (laughs) I want you to have this too. And it's surreal being here on our, our last day for now in Wellington, A.M. And I prayed, I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to say this morning? And uh, I think He comforted me by giving me the one encouragement that I that I felt I would leave with someone. And the encouragement I would leave with you is this phrase. Actually, I don't know where Lusharro went, but Luccharo made me a T-shirt that has it written on it: "Stay close to Jesus." Stay close to Jesus. If I can look you in the eyes one more time, not knowing when, I will see you again and say one thing to you. That is what I would say. I would say stay close to Jesus. Why? Why would I say that? Because if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. Whether you're going through the wilderness whether you're facing trials, whether the world is falling apart around us like Scripture says it will, or whether you're in a season that's flowing with milk and honey, the answer is the same. Stay close to Jesus. He's everything. He's everything. And we see in Matthew 22, Jesus says this is the greatest and most important command Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And after everything I've shared this morning, after just the way we encountered him during worship, when we realize who he is, when we realize what he's done, how much he loves us, how he desires to be with us, Now the end of this story is with him returning to dwell with us for eternity. That command, that command doesn't become a burden. It doesn't become an obligation. It becomes, why would I want to do anything else? Why would I want to do anything else? This world pales in comparison to him. It pales in comparison to him. But the problem, church, is everything in this world is screaming for your attention. It's screaming for your attention. It's screaming for your time. It's screaming for your mind. It's screaming for your hearts. It's doing everything but pushing you closer to him. And the last thing I really feel God telling us this morning and really calling me to exhort you in is that he wants you to pursue him. To pursue him. Psalm 105, verse 4. The psalmist writes, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. I want to look at two stories in the Word where Jesus does something that, to me, it seemed very interesting. The first one I want to look at, we know it as the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. So these two disciples, Jesus has died. They're now walking away from Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to them on the road, and they're downcast. They're like, we thought he was the Messiah. And Jesus says to them, starting in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And I want you to catch this part. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Verse 29, "'But but they urged him strongly, saying, "'Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent.'" So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the scriptures? Why did Jesus act as if he were going farther when they got to the village that they were going to. It's fascinating. I mean, he hadn't revealed himself. He's resurrected. This would be a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus that could be recorded for us to read 2000 years later. Why did he appear as if he was going farther? Jesus waited to see what the two disciples would do in that moment. He acted as if he was going farther. What are you going to do when Jesus appears like he's going to walk away from you? What are you going to do? And once they said, stay, what did he do? He stayed. He didn't make it hard on them. He stayed. He extended the scepter. He stayed. He broke bread with them, and they recognized him. Second story I want to highlight. Mark chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's done this miraculous feeding. In verse 45, it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And again, I want you to catch this before we continue. He meant to pass them by. He was planning, he was intending on passing right by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid.' And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded." And so Jesus sends his disciples out by themselves into the sea, probably knowing a storm is coming. He himself goes up on the mountain to pray. During the middle of the night, while he's praying, he looks out, and he sees them still on the sea, struggling to cross on the sea because of the winds. Jesus continues praying. Finally, just before morning, Jesus walks on the water to them. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I understand why Jesus would pray through the night. I can get that. But now I imagine he's going to walk on the water to the disciples and help them out because they've been struggling all night. I mean, these are his disciples that he called to follow him. Surely he's going to go to them and help them. Why was Jesus going to just pass by his disciples in that moment? Why did he mean to pass them by? We see what happened the moment they cried out. The moment they cried out and realized their need, their fear, he helped them, he responded. He responded, he calmed their hearts, he calmed the storm, and they were utterly astounded. Utterly astounded. Keenan, I'm not sure where you're at, but you can come up, my friend. In the book of Isaiah, we see the prophet speaking to God in chapter 64, and he says something so heartbreaking to me. In verse 7, he says, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. So God had hidden his face from them. And to a measure, they were actually okay with it. Why do I say that? Because no one called on his name. They knew his name. No one called on his name. No one strived to lay hold of him. They were okay with him hiding his face from them. Are you okay if God hides his face from you, whatever the reason? Are you okay with that? Can you carry on with life as you know it without him, without his presence? Can you just keep on going? Are you okay with that? Or will you do everything in your power to find him, to seek him, to love him, to worship him, to humble yourself before him? Why? Because his word says he does not despise a broken and humbled heart. Knowing that his word also says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. These are promises. In Jeremiah, the prophet's prophecy reveals the character of God in chapter 29. God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. God wants us to strive to lay hold of him. There's so much more. We have beautiful mornings like this. We can't do it in our own strength. But are we satisfied with one good Sunday service? Are we satisfied with a couple hours on Sunday? Or are we going to contend for more of him? Are we going to fight back against the world, the distractions, the enemy, the lies, the deception, Are we going to strive for the more of him? He wants to give it to us. But he's calling us to lay hold of him, to actually show that we want him, that we realize that we need him. This is why in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But why? Because if you are the one who draws near to him, it communicates two things communicates, number one, that you believe he exists and he is who he is. And it communicates, number two, that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. And as we looked at who Jesus is, how he loves us, how he desires to be with us, do you realize that at the end of the day what that reward is? It's Him. It's Jesus Himself. He's the reward. He's the reward. Jesus is coming. (laughs) Jesus is coming. We're living in the last days. And I want to exhort you guys. I'm reminded of the letters in the book of Revelation that, were, that John wrote at that time that are just as applicable today. In Revelation chapter 2, there's a letter written to the church of Ephesus, and Jesus says, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your endurance, I know you cannot tolerate evil people, I know you tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not really apostles you found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. Jesus knows all these things you've done. He knows them. But for this church, he had one thing against them. He said, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned your first love. But what about all the things I've done? What about all my work, my endurance, testing evil, persevering, enduring hardship? And Jesus reminds them of the first and greatest commandment, the thing that everything else hangs on, it depends on. And he says, if you don't remember how far you've fallen in this area of love, and if you don't repent, and do that. He said, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He said, you'll no longer be a church. Why? Because you're not going to reflect his heart. The heart of his church. The heart of love. And I'm also reminded of the last letter in chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea. This is a church. Jesus called them lukewarm. And he said for that reason, he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth. Why? They were living their lives as if they already had everything they needed. They lived their lives as if they already had everything they needed, which means what? It implies that they didn't need him. The way they were living their lives communicated that they didn't really need him. So in verse 20, we see this incredible thing. Jesus standing outside the door, knocking on the door of the church. He's saying, here I am, the one who this is all about, this entire life, this entire story. Here I am, Jesus himself the one who loves you in ways that you can't even comprehend, the one who so desires to be with you. Here I am. He's knocking, but he's not only knocking, he's speaking. And he's saying, oh, if you will only listen for, if you will only hear my voice and then respond, to be zealous, to repent, to open the door, (laughs) if you'll just lay hold of him, he will come in. He will come in to you, to us as a church, and he will eat with us. He will dine with us. He will fellowship with us. We will have this beautiful fellowship and intimacy with him. And I know each and every one of you sitting here, you've, you've tasted and seen something of him, and that's why you're here. I just want to exhort you, keep pursuing him. Stay close to him. There's more. There's more of him, and he wants to give it to us. It's going to close the gap between our current reality and what he refers to as a pure and spotless bride. The marriage of his bride to Jesus, the bridegroom this glorious reality that is coming. And I believe that David, one that the Lord said was a man after God's own heart, I believe this is why David says what he did in Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, there's only one thing I desire from the Lord. Oh, that I may dwell in your presence all the days of my life. Because I see who you are. I see your beauty. I just want to look at your beauty. And I just want to seek you. Here I am, Lord, with you. I'll do whatever. Oh, but I am perfect just being here with you too. There's nothing I want more than to be in your presence. Let's close our eyes and let's wait on the Lord and see where he wants to go. This morning, Jesus is calling us all closer. (laughs) He's revealing himself, his beauty, his majesty. But he's also revealing himself as our Savior. Some of you, you may have walked in here this morning and you may have not seen him that way. You may not have understood what this is all about. You might have come to church before. You may have heard the name of Jesus. But this morning, it's different. This morning, something within you is is telling you this is the truth. And I believe if that's you, Jesus wants you to make a very, very important decision this morning. To truly follow him, starting now for the rest of your life. To stop living life your way. Why? Because He created you. He created you in His image. And He loved you so much, knowing that unless He came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for your sins, the things that you've done that fall short of the glory of the amazing God, unless He did that, You would be destined for hell, eternal damnation and separation from him. And so he came and he died on that cross. (laughs) Oh, but it didn't end there. He rose again. He rose again from the grave. He's ascended back to heaven. And he's coming back. He's coming back to really do two big things. Number one, He's coming back to dwell with those who've chosen, who've chosen to make him their Lord and Savior, to see him for who he is and to give everything they have in response to it. But he's also coming back to judge those who don't, those who continue to despise his love, to despise who he is, to despise what he did on the cross, to continue to live life their way. He's going to judge, and he's going to send you to hell. And if this morning, if that truth and reality is is settling in you, if there's something in you that says, this is the truth and I need to do something different starting now, God wants you to respond to him. He wants you to respond to him in this moment. He's calling. He has that scepter out. He has his arms open. He's saying, child, I love you. Oh, but I want you to turn from doing it your way. I want you to come to me. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. We need him in all these things. I want to ask you in a moment to raise your hand. And in raising your hand, you're raising it in his presence. He is with us and you're saying, God, I want you. I'm choosing now to lay it all down and follow you from this day forward. You might not know what that looks like, but he will help you. He will give you the Holy Spirit to help you. This church, the other people who have made that decision will help you. So if that's you this morning, if you know he's calling and you want to say, yes, yes, Jesus, here I am, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Raise your hand so I can see it this morning if that is you. You'll know he's doing it inside of you. You may not understand it, but you'll know he's doing it inside of you. Raise your hand nice and high so I can see it this morning. Anyone here, raise your hand. This is before the Lord. He sees your heart. Okay, for the rest of us, keep your eyes closed and your heart just fixed on the Lord, your mind just fixed on Him. I want to give